The Gist is brought to you by Monster. Find employees who work as hard as you at monster.com hiring. Monster. Find better. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, April 7th, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. In America, we're feeling the burn. But in Myanmar, I think they're beginning to feel the Burma because Myanmar is inching closer to democratization and throwing off the yoke. And I love a good throwing off of the yoke. Throwing off the yoke of military oppression, the very oppression that got the country renamed Myanmar in the worst rebranding since Philip Morris became Altria. Last month, the BBC reported that Aung San Suu Kyi, her party, the famed Nobel Peace Prize winning dissident, now politician, her party would get around, subvert certain constitutional rules. And what effectively we found out today was that, as expected, it's not going to be Aung San Suu Kyi as this country's next president. Her party has nominated two candidates for vice president, and one of those will then go on to be this country's president, such as the majority they have in the election. So this is a good counter-argument to the old, you're being political, gripe. Yes, being political, using politics to get your way, in this case, to carry out the will of the people. Critics of Aung San Suu Kyi say that what she's doing is unconstitutional. They are 100% correct. Because in the Constitution, in the Myanmar Constitution, it says right in print that Aung San Suu Kyi cannot be president. Analogy. You know how in the United States poll taxes are unconstitutional? Well, what if the main opposition candidate in the United States were a guy whose name was Poll Tax? or religious test. Hi, I'm religious test. I'm looking to get elected president of the United States, the clerk in the filing office. Uh, hold on. I think we got a problem. Steve, Steve. Oh God, you're going to want to see this. Article six, right there. Paragraph three, no religious test. Sorry about that. Look, I do not think it's a great thing for this burgeoning democracy that they have to go through hoops that they have to elect a figurehead, that they have to have someone who's really working behind the scenes, the power broker who's actually calling the shots. But you know what? It's better when the ruling junta called the shots because back then they were actual shots. And even though they're a young democracy and we're the oldest democracy, are things really so different? Hello, Mr. Cheney. Hello. This is politics. This is playing politics. And this is, in the case of Myanmar, them inching towards democracy. On the show today, I spiel about another powerful woman in national politics who has been victimized by many critics and Metro cards. But first, a very clever idea to eradicate a very horrible illness and why it's so darn unpopular. The Sterile Mosquito, it's not only the worst name for a pub in all of England, it could be deliverance from one of the great scourges afflicting humanity at this moment, the Zika virus. It's worked in other viruses. And here to explain what goes on in sterilizing mosquitoes is Nina Fedorov, former science and technology advisor to the Secretary of State from 2007 to 2010. She's an emeritus professor at Penn State. Hello, Dr. Fedorov. Hi. For someone who has only dabbled in the art of uh, mosquito-borne illness eradication, explain how this plan of genetically modified male mosquitoes, explain how it would work. The plan works as follows. The mosquitoes have been endowed using modern molecular methods with a gene that when it's active 
essentially kills the organism. That gene is kept inactive. It's repressed under the influence of a compound that's added to the growth medium. So while the insects are developing and mating and making babies that are potentially going to be released, they're able to live because that gene, that lethal gene, is repressed. Now, once you're ready to release them, you release them off of that medium, of course, and then they fly out, they mate, and it's the next generation that expresses that gene that stunts their development and basically is lethal before they develop to maturity. Right. So what, and what's the gestation period of a mosquito? Oh, just days. So you'd have to do it for a while. But really, you're saying within months, you can... Which I don't want to use the word eradicate if that's not the right word. No, but... because you never eradicate any more than you eradicate with chemicals. Right. But the advantage of a biological control is that the insects don't develop resistance. When you spray them over and over and over again, you kill everybody except the mutants. Mm-hmm. And there are always mutants uh, that are insecticide resistant. Would these genetically modified male mosquitoes affect the food chain? Not really. They're tiny insects. And I have to remind you that the mosquitoes are invaders from Africa, so they're an invasive pest. And there are lots of other much larger insects that are the primary food for, say, frogs and bats and so forth. Okay, so of the hurdles in getting this plan introduced, is the biggest hurdle public education, you know, getting, uh, getting people not to be freaked out by the phrase genetic modification, or are there other hurdles? You know, it's the U.S. Department of Agriculture that has experience with biological insect eradication, specifically with sterile insects and with other forms of biological control. Public health measures have largely, in controlling mosquitoes in the past, have largely relied on insecticides and, oh, everything from putting oil over standing water. That was done early in the last century. Yeah. These are little bugs that have gotten very good at living with human beings. They can live in a cap full of water. You know, they can they live can in the put tiny... eggs, yes, yeah. lay and, eggs in a cap full of and water. Even exactly. though in Brazil, in the slums of Brazil, in the favelas, even though that there is an education and eradication program, you basically have to be perfect to eliminate all that water. It's very hard to do. Extremely hard to do. This is the cleverest thing that's come along since sliced bread. Yeah. Oh, I think it, I can go even farther back. <laughs> I got to know about it when I was a professor at the new university in Saudi Arabia, the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, and they have a huge dengue problem, especially in the holy cities where people come by the millions every year yeah. and carry home little eggs. Same insect. So my hope is that here, the education programs, I mean, this is part of trying to get the message out to adults that this is not scary, this is much more sensible even than irradiating them. Irradiation doesn't work very well with mosquitoes anyway. It makes them just not very good lotharios. <laughs> yeah, that and, uh, you know, too much sports center and uh, big 12-foot 12, yeah. 12 subs, that'll do it too. But uh, my question is, with Saudi Arabia, you're saying it was hard to convince that society to embrace 
this genetically modified technique? It, it was hard at the highest levels. We yeah. didn't even get to, to the society because it's not an open society, you right. understand. So if the kingdom embraces it, it, it would happen. It was just hard to get the... Yes. Uh, yeah. and the king was very old, and the king had signed a decree that no genetically modified animal could be released in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That was pretty short-sighted because nobody saw the mosquito coming. The mosquitoes are self-limiting, so there's no, there's no downside to it. They die in three days. They don't bite. You know, what mistake can you make? Yeah. They're going to be dead. So the challenge here is that America just needs to be more forward-looking scientifically than Saudi Arabia. Yes. Now, yeah. the USDA has the experience, yet they didn't want to deal politically with this issue. And I can't tell you exactly why. They just didn't want to deal with it. There's an animal and plant health inspection service. That should have been the part of USDA that helped these guys get through the regulations. But instead, someone in the FDA took it up, and they're regulating as a new animal drug. Now, that could really mess things up. The drug is the mosquito, so it's hard to... The uh, drug is the mosquito. The drug is the mosquito. It's hard to do a drug trial. How do you take a placebo of mosquitoes? This is a good question. All right, so what's the danger if the U.S. waits? What's the danger if there's bureaucratic uh, foot dragging, no way to fast track this technology? We'll begin to have person-to-person transmission of the Zika. So far, we've already seen an influx of cases of people that traveled to the southern hemisphere and then back again. But there are no cases of person-to-person transmission in this country, except for one possible one through sexual transmission. Apparently the virus hangs around in the semen for a while. Mm -hmm. But as Tony Fauci said just a few days ago, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. In our country, remember... There's climate change. That means our climate zones are moving north. That means that mosquitoes will go farther and farther north. Hmm. Puerto Rico is already at risk. Again, it could flower into an epidemic. So the longer we wait, the more serious the problem becomes. Nina Fedorov was science and technology advisor to secretaries of state Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton. She's a former president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, professor emeritus at Penn State, mosquito eradication theorist. Thank you, Dr. Fedorov. Thank you. As a small business owner, you work endless hours to pursue your goals. The sunrise is your alarm clock, your lunch hour, like seven and a half minutes long. You need employees to work hard too. Monster has 20 years of experience finding the right people for the right jobs. Monster builds custom hiring solutions specific to your small business. Visit monster.com hiring to find employees who work as hard as you and save 25% off or more for a limited time. Monster, find better. And now the spiel. Swipe, right? Don't you hate it when you get on the subway and some dude announces, Bag it up, people! Showtime! Showtime! Here, here, we're all gonna back up. Let's back up. 
Showtime. Showtime is on the New York City subways when dancers grab the subway pole and start doing aerobics and almost kick you in the face. And you say, thank you for thrusting this entertainment upon me. At least you didn't lie about selling M&Ms so your basketball team could buy new uniforms. This Showtime, though, the one you're hearing there in that clip, was Hillary Rodham Clinton, former senator from New York, riding a New York subway, but not without complication, controversy. Because in getting onto the subway, she swiped her Metro card. Not once, not twice, not thrice or force, but fife. Five times. The Twitter account for Red State tweeted, Hilarious. Watch, just like you, Hillary, struggle with MetroCard on the subway. What would a website named Red State know about riding the subway and using a MetroCard? Swiping these antiquated, yet somehow futuristic cards to no avail is the most common experience in the subway. My theory is that turnstiles get extra picky. They raise their standards when they know that a train is about to leave the station and you're desperate to get on. And that way they can laugh and laugh amongst themselves at commuter frustration. Or maybe, maybe, it's that turnstiles secretly get off on the move where the rider swipes the card, trusting his form is right, does not look down, and bam, slams his crotch directly into the turnstile. Oh, oh, turnstile, that's how you get your jollies, is it? You sicko. So if this amount of ridicule is visited upon Hillary Rodham Clinton for doing something I do, I don't know, three or four times a week, swipe again at this turnstile, swipe again at this turnstile, swipe again at this turnstile, card just used. What? What? There's got to be an intermediary message. This happens all the time. If Hillary Clinton gets this kind of guff, I can only imagine what my life would look like if I were Hillary Clinton. So last week, Hillary Clinton was caught shouting, quote, lashing out when she rebutted an accuser on a rope line. Will you act on your words and reject fossil fuel money in the future in your campaign? Yes. I do not have any money from people who work for fossil fuel companies. I am so and sick. And I am so sick of the Sanders campaign lying about me. I'm sick of her. I agree with you. There she was raising her voice, yelling. Did it have anything to do with that super loud music? No. But if it were me, if I were Hillary Clinton, this would go down. Kids, kids, if you want to play with your Pokemon cards, I said you could play with them. You've got to put them away. Guys, guys, Pesca lashes out. Pesca verbally abusive to imaginative youngsters. Neat freak Pesca freak out. Then there was the time when Hillary burst into laughter during the Benghazi hearings. I want to talk about um, a few things. Do you have a skiff in your home? Yes, I did. Okay, and who else was at your home? Were you alone? I was alone, yes. The whole night? Well, yes, the whole night. (laughs) Well, I don't know why that's funny. I mean, did you have any... I gotta say, I thought that was actually pretty funny, too. All alone all night, Madam Secretary. (laughs) Ha! Ho, ho! Pesca cackles. Pesca laughs in the face of Congress. Pesca refuses to take responsibility for Benghazi. And if I were to set up a private email server violating the spirit, if not the letter of the law, and creating a foreseeable but undisciplined distraction as I was about to seek the highest office in the land, if Pesca did that, I gotta say, that's really kind of specific to Hillary Clinton, isn't it? Yeah, that doesn't really apply to my life. No, my life, my life's more about it being my son's birthday today. So tomorrow, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to school around noon. I'm gonna bring some cupcakes. I'll buy them right at the grocery store next to the school. I'm definitely going store-bought. I mean... 
I'm not going to sit home and bake cupcakes. Oh, no. The fallout was swift. Worried that she had offended homemakers, campaign aides rushed her outside to do some damage control. I have to say, Mrs. Bush is such a lady. And I think the first lady of our country needs to be a lady at all times. So Hillary and I have a lot in common. We've both worn Yankee hats, even though we don't really like the Yankees. Barack Obama is probably more likable than both of us. We're both used to being lectured by old Jewish men from Brooklyn. Neither of us had a really good idea of what could have been done in Syria, but we kind of pretend that we do. And we're both going to lose the Wyoming caucuses because the Wyoming caucuses? The only difference is that I swipe, swipe, swipe my Metro card four or five times a day, every day, and will continue doing so for years to come. And Hillary's five swipes today, well, those are the only swipes she'll be turning out this entire year. But as we heard, those aren't the only swipes she'll be receiving. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi once attempted to scan milk at the checkout aisle of the CVS so repeatedly and so vigorously that when she was done, they charged her for butter. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He once spent 15 minutes trying to get the automatic hand dryer to work, and then he realized he was yelling at a tampon machine. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. Before that, during the 90s, he worked at another cutting-edge audio-based technology when he was chief content officer at The Clapper. The gist, little-known fact, when Carl Yastrzemski waved the ball fair in 1975, that was the first example of someone playing baseball on Nintendo Wii. You come to me for these facts, don't you? Umpuru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.